I think it's going to be a good one. Joe, I, I actually agree with you for once. <laughs> Snap. I have, I have not prepared anything on a list of films I'm looking forward to, and I've written down the names of Tom Hanks and Mark Rylance's characters. <laughs> James Donovan. James B. Donovan. Rudolph A. Abel. Yes. Jimmy D. Jimmy Donovan. The big <laughs> Jimmy D. Jeffrey the big Donovan D. from Burn Notice. <laughs> Donovan. <laughs> the singer songwriter. <laughs> Jason Donovan. Link? Question mark. Illuminati. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Auteurs Hoarders podcast. Once a month we sink our teeth into the less respected and weirder films in a director's filmography. Survival kit contents check. In this episode you will find 145 caliber automatic, 4 days concentrated emergency rations, 1 miniature combination Russian phrase book and bible, and one tape containing Tom Hanks reading the U.S. Constitution. We're watching Steven Spielberg's Bridge of Spies this episode. I'm Ben Shepard, the keeper of the Auteurs Hordeurs blog, and I'm joined today by two spies who've definitely had their license to kill revoked. It's Sam Shepard and Jonathan Hatful. Hello, guys. How's it going? Hello. 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 <laughs> I do have to point out that as soon as I, I wrote that, I chuckled so much that I did I did have to rewatch Doctor Strangelove. <laughs> Very nice. Very nice. Everyone doing good, yeah. Oh yeah, doing real good, guys. Good yeah, to, doing good. Good to be here again. Always a pleasure to be here with you guys. In the place where we are. <laughs> with the people that we're with. <laughs> Couldn't have said it better myself. Now guys. I feel like I say this every month, but good God, the world is a shitty place right now. It's not quite the end of days, but it's definitely, you know, maybe two minutes to midnight? Maybe? That's what we're feeling. Maiden. Uh, or Watchmen. Yeah, I'm feeling those two uh, good references you were just uh, playing for just there. Thank you. Yeah. Like Jericho Kane. Yes. <laughs> I wanted the Jericho Kane cheers. <laughs> now, has anyone got anything exciting that they're, they're definitely using as a crutch to get through these uh, troubled times? Mm. Well, for me, as the resident non-cinema goer of this film podcast, <laughs> uh, I have been leaning on the crutch and very much enjoying um, the net- Netflix. Oh, obviously, we all watch Netflix, right? And I've recently got back into the very popular anime from 2013, Attack on Titan. Hooray! <laughs> I don't know what, 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 what sort of reaction yeah. I was waiting for yeah, there. It's like for. Giant, Sam, giant. Giant, giant titans, in fact. Not just no. giants. No, big no. mouldy giants. Definitely giants. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh no! I, I know uh, John was saying before he's watched a tiny bit of this, and you haven't watched any of this. But um, I'm very excited about this season. I know a lot of people are. I do see people in the street wearing this merchandise, and I remember when it came out, and I I, I didn't watch it at the time. I kind of thought, oh, I don't really get. It's a very um, it's not a different artistic style. It's got that very um, high polished anime edge to it. But 
the like the imagery of the, of the Titans is very strange. Like these things which don't have skin or just look really weird. Um, I, I didn't know whether I'd be that into it, uh, but it, it very quickly sucked me in, and I watched the entire thing. Okay, let's let's go for the uh, elephant in the room, as it were. The the the, the character design on the Titans. Now, yes. do you get used to that? I think great. Uh, first of all, for anyone who hasn't watched it, I'll do a very short synopsis, which has absolutely no um, spoilers in it. So the story itself is the last of humanity lives in this big village, which is um, behind this wall. And it has to live behind this wall because beyond this wall, there are these many giants and they've taken humanity to the edge of edge of extinction and this is all they can do to keep themselves at bay and for for a hundred years this this huge wall has kept any of these giants at bay so it's standard standard anime town <laughs> standard anime well it's it's all set kind of standard anime medieval town so it's not futuristic robot battles or whatever it's all very medieval kind of like claymore or berserk or some of those animes that you might have so watched it's historically sent it's historic, yeah, it's a it's period. It's a period oh. but alternative like dimension y you know, like I I, I wanna say steampunk to a certain extent in the fact that it's set in period but in a period of medieval times, but they have technology that didn't exist, if you okay. get what I mean. Yes. yes. So anyway, um and we follow the story of three young three young kids. Aaron Yeager, his best friend and um, adopted sister Mina, and his second best friend, the bookish Armand. Armand? I think I'm pronouncing oh, right. Does Armand uh, feel really bad that he's rated second? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he does. I'm sure that comes up. um so uh as you can probably tell what happens oh no all of a sudden the titans are in the wall and things have all gone to hell and how they deal with that and that's the story that we follow these three kids getting through this tough time uh it's very very good and it's got everything that you i like about anime all thrown in and what reminded me of why why i like anime in the first place yeah that's all in there I will say you definitely get used to the Titans when you first see. So all you've seen, Ben, is the one yeah. without any skin, right? No skin. No skin, all muscle, looking really, really weird. But yeah. that's not what the majority of them look like. The majority of them just look like really dopey people with gormless <laughs> smiles. And it's really, really jarring Like when you first see it. But then, like, these really dopey, weird people start doing some really... Just eating people. And, like, just seeing that, it's really, um... It's uncanny valley, and it's really, um... Disturbing. Haunting. At the same time. Disturbing, uncanny valley sort of thing. There's a very unhumanness... Very humanness to, like, these big, giant things that just eat people. Yeah. So, yeah, definitely, the more you watch it, the more you really appreciate what style has gone behind the antagonists what what did you think when you watched it john i really yeah i really enjoyed it i can't exactly remember why i stopped but uh, i suspect it's something to do with uh, busyness again like i'd I'd seen people talk about it and it was really popular and it was i'd agree that there's there's something kind of weird yeah something really uncanny about the the titans the that they kind of they almost look non-threatening because they look so dopey and then they sort of like open their mouths and like pick people up and it is quite horrifying (laughs) um and i know there's 
there's like a live action film there is yeah i haven't checked it out yet um is there only one season there is so um the one season and this is a thing about anime that uh brings me back to anime so there's one season they haven't finished the manga yet the they've got two more story arcs left in the manga and kind of season one covers four story arcs so at the minute people don't know whether they're going to do the second season and start go off on a tangent Hmm. or are they just going to do filler or are they just not going to do anything until the manga's finished and that's a lot of that's the thing in 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 anime where you know if this were i guess i guess the 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 only the only sort of western equivalent is uh, game of thrones yeah George R. R. Martin is writing them alongside us and finishing, but he's at least feeding them stuff. Yeah, but in, in Japan it's just like, oh, they're not finished. Should we talk to them and see what they're doing, or should we wait for a bit? Or No, no. What we'll do is we'll just come up with wacky com- comedic adventures for possibly two years, and then we'll get back to the main story again. Like I love that that's a thing. I say I love, hate it, because it usually ruins the series. It's a problem. But... Yeah, I think it's a massive problem. Well, not a massive well, it, problem. <laughs> it's a huge no. It's a huge problem because it killed it killed any momentum that like Naruto had, yeah. which was a fan, like that was such an incredible show that was utterly utterly ruined by the fact that they they caught up to the manga. Yeah, the cases of it succeeding uh, are like Full Metal Alchemist, where they just made a definitive choice and just went with it, even though it was completely different to what the source material ended up being. But it's just, I just don't understand why they don't just wait. Like, you've got a season, that's cool. Now you can wait for a bit, and then you'll do the follow-up. Well, I guess yeah. it has been a really large, like, to 2013 for the first yeah. season. That's like, yeah, they're obviously, like, kind of taking it carefully. That's pretty cool. Totally. Totally. Yeah, it's weird how how this keeps happening again and again, and uh, it it makes me slightly nervous as to what's going to happen next. Because I can I can remember teenage Sam who was very into anime and just waiting for these shows to come back, and then they did, and they were huge disappointments. And I don't I don't want that to happen to adults, Sam. <laughs> 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 you said in the uh, build up that like oh yeah I remind you why you liked anime so what was what was like the have you been out of the anime game Sam well yeah absolutely absolutely um, I don't think uh, I think it hasn't been since university that I was promptly watching all the time probably when Shippuden came out and then I thought what am I doing this for <laughs> what, what is this the, the last proper this is probably the first anime which is just a full on season that I've watched all the way through and really enjoyed in a very long time last thing I enjoyed we talked about before was One Punch Man and I enjoyed yeah. that for very different reasons in that <laughs> I enjoyed it for very different reasons. It was like, um, it was ironic. It was great. It was great, but it was ironic. It was doing something very different. Like, um, and it's very nice to just have an anime, which is like, this is this is what it is. It's got everything you liked about it, Sam. It's got the emotions. It's got determination. It's got some <laughs> kick-ass music. Come, come back, enjoy it. Oh, you've totally cried to Attack on Titan, haven't you, Sam? I, I have. <laughs> I think I have. It, it's very emotional. I couldn't uh, tell you specifics, oh, but uh, I wouldn't put it past me. Okay, uh, so One Punch Man was good, but was it just too, yeah, it was too too smarky for your for your tastes yeah, in retrospect? Yeah, totally. You could you could definitely say that. I wouldn't say it's. I wouldn't even say it's to anything. It's just it's. 
it 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 did what it it did it was like let's look at this is what anime is and let's kind of do a mockery of it you know a satire of it it was a satire i think it was really good it was really fun but it was also satire so that that was fun to watch maybe it was too smart its own good maybe i wouldn't like to say it was very fun though and i'd watch it again and i said doing a second season right of one punch man yeah well the guy's writing another graphic novel I thought that was like one and done, like. Yeah, me too. But I think he's writing a second graphic novel. Well, something to keep one's eye on. That's what I've heard on the grapevine. Day and age. <laughs> so it's good to get back into anime. Very, uh, very excited about that. Maybe I'll watch something else good and talk about that another time. Sweet. Good stuff. Mm-mm. Well, I guess. So, what what has excited me lately? Thanks for asking, Sam. Hey, no. <laughs> Sometimes you don't even need to ask. I heard you loud and clear. It was it was between the lines. <laughs> uh, me and John here have just returned from the land of the free. We had a great time there. We had a lot of fun. But one thing that we did was, which was uh, very cool and very exciting for people who like film, is that we we went to an Alamo Draft House. Yeah. And that Alamo Draft House. An Alamo Draft House, Sam. What is an Alamo Draft House? <laughs> well, uh, thank you for asking. Alamo Draft House is a well, it's, it's now a chain of cinemas. It used to oh. be like uh, it's one of those proper like <laughs> oh, it started as one location and then it's expanded as you know it's become more more famous in in uh, sort of like popular circles. But like uh, it's something that uh, came to my attention a lot, you know, like two, uh, three or four years ago, I guess, uh, listening to film podcasts. And hearing all these like film critics of roughly our age, maybe a bit older, going to these these festivals or going to certain towns and being like, oh yeah. And I went to an Alamo Draft House and they show all the all the amazing films. It's both a current cinema and also it's a bit like um, if you've been to the Prince Charles in London, it's simultaneously both a repertory cinema and like an active cinema. And the idea being that it, it cultivates like film film geekery and film fandom. So. Uh, for example, between before every film, they have like a half-hour pre-show where they start showing just like random, random sequences from from films that you know just completely out of context uh, scenes from possibly like yeah, like uh, kung fu films that you're like, oh, you you sit there and you watch it and you go like, oh, what the fuck is that? That film looks mental. That's amazing. <coughs> but then they also have little bits before certain films that are like you know, uh, so for example, me me and John went to see Doctor Strange. And they had a whole sequence before that of like where Doctor Strange has previously appeared in both television and film, and how what the kind of history of that was, and how that kind of works out. So that that it's definitely like a feel of you know cinema made by geeks for geeks, if you were. And also very very nice. They they deliver food and drink to your to your table, so that that helps also. You have a table. Well, you have like a... It's almost like a lecture theatre. It, <laughs> it feels like going back to like the student cinema uh, yeah. at uni. And like, <laughs> oh yeah, I've got a nice little bench here, so if I want to like lean on it and have a nap, I can. <laughs> that sounds... Or uh, a, a ninja dressed in black will deliver cookies to you. <laughs> yes. That sounds so cool. It sounds like a lot of, of work for the, for the staff involved. They do this for every film. They do this for every... Well... 
I assume they do it for every film. If they if they did if they went to all this effort for Doctor Strange, I imagine they would do it for every film. They obviously they put on like you know um, like as I said, much like the Prince Charles in London, they put on like repertory showings. So for example, the week we were out, we didn't go to see it, but they had the thing playing. Um, so I imagine they would have gone to all that effort for that as well. In fact, arguably more because uh, our friend Richard, who lives out in in Texas, he's discussed like how he's gone to see like for example Ghostbusters at at the uh, Alamo Draft House, and they've had a whole pre-show including people people in costume and like you know they're going oh yeah like here here's the best like person dressed up as a as a Ghostbuster things of that <laughs> ilk. So they, they 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 take it serious. They take it yeah. serious like that. Wow, wow, wow. So was this, obviously this is something you knew about before you were going out there. Did it live up to the hype that you thought it was going to do? Yes, it was great. I mean, I think the probably the, the proper way to do it is to go and see like a classic, like themed, like you know, like themed stuff. But <laughs> even like just going to see Doctor Strange was like just, just awesome. Yeah, like, like Ben said, the pre-show was so cool. It's like mad kung fu clips and whatnot. Yeah, and it was just, it's obviously something that I've, yeah, I think both of us have just been like reading about it. Oh man, I really want to go to an anime draft house. I think Ben actually went before. I was like, I, oh, I have to so jealous, it. like, God damn it. And I was quite pushy about it when we were on holiday. Like, <laughs> we're going to go to the anime draft house though? Like, we're going to go? Like, yeah, yeah, we're going to go. I was like, yeah, but when? So you've been before? Yes, sir. Oh, what, what did I you went see? I went to see a film called To Live and Die in L.A., but sadly, uh, we were running late, so we missed the pre-show. Uh, that's so, the one we watched, right? That. Is that the thing we watched over at yours? The one where it's L.A. in every film? No, no, that's uh, Los Angeles Plays Itself, oh. which is a lot better. To Live and Die in L.A. is not a good movie. Oh. Uh, well, at least you got to see Doctor Strange this time. That is also not a good movie. <laughs> Well, John, yay or nay on Strange? On some Strange? (laughs) Uh, On Doctor Strange, I'm sort of in the middle. Like, I had had, fun while I was watching it, I had fun, but I can't really remember it now. Yeah, it's it's okay. As Marvel films go, it's one of the less aggravating, definitely. (laughs) Tullis Winton's good in it. Mads Mikkelsen's good in it. Uh, Cumberbatch is terrible in it. Um, <laughs> I love it. The visual stuff, like, and some, the ending works quite nicely. But yeah, it's okay. So probably like about like Ant Man level. Oh. All I'm happy is that a lot of actors that I like got paid, hopefully, a lot of money to be in a waste of time. <laughs> that's, that's all I'm. All I'm. Happy and none, about. Of, none of them are acting bored either. Like they're all like giving it a bit of welly, which is nice. Yeah, that I mean that is true. Like they are, they are professionals. Yeah. I do not feel, however, that the scriptwriters nor directors are. Is the joke get me strange in the? Does Mads Mikkelsen say it? I don't think it is actually, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> He's getting all kinds of strange. <laughs> Possibly a uh, version. <laughs> missed opportunity. Missed opportunity. <laughs> Uh, yeah, if, if you ever do find yourself at an Alamo draft house, I can recommend the cookies and ice cream. That is pretty nice. I would say that if you get if you order a chocolate chip cookie, you will get three, and then <laughs> I finished them with no problem. I I did not finish mine. I was unprepared. <laughs> um, is, is this something that's only in Texas? Is it in any of the other states? No, they've they've expanded to. There's definitely one in Brooklyn, 
Because I mean, it, it is in, it is quite hipster as, as a concept, isn't it? Really? Yeah, yes. one of uh, I think as well. Denver in Colorado. Yeah, that sounds right. Cool towns. I think is all it... all cool towns will have one. Yeah. Is it something so um kind of like I was kind of in two minds there. I was thinking I'd really enjoy it if it was only in Texas as like the Alamo Draft House or whatever, you know, because it's kind of nice to just have a thing that's different and not franchised and replicated and whatever. But I was also thinking, oh, it would be really nice if we had something that over here. Right. Because, yeah. I really enjoy all our indie cinemas, but this sounds like a different experience. Yeah, I was going to say, Sam, I've not taken you to the Prince Charles for like a proper film oh. showing, have I? So similar. Yeah. Did they do the Prince, same kind Prince of thing? Charles. Yeah, if you go to a Prince Charles, like one of their quota fonds or like when they put on the room, for example, like it's the, it's the same sort of experience. It's a lot of fun. It's a lot of like audience participation, at least at the start. And it's just like, a yeah, it feels like a celebration when you go and see the right film at the Prince mm. Charles. And the Alamo kind of captures that, and I imagine the Alamo at its best is exactly the same. But you saw not the Alamo at its best, if you know what I mean, and still it was a pretty different experience, yeah, right? Yeah, you're right, you're right, yeah. So it would be kind of nice to have something over here, or would it be taking away from how nice it is to go over and experience something, you know? You know what I mean? I, I see what you mean, but no, I, I think more the first point. It'd be nice if we had something like that in the UK. I just don't know. The problem is land is cheaper in America, isn't it? Like that, I think that is basically the crux of the issue. <laughs> There's more of it. It's easier to establish like a business. Mm. Uh, in the UK, you'd have to hope that every every um, screening was a sellout, basically. Cool. So, John, do you excited about things, <clears throat> or has has the fact that you you you've now been to the Alamo, you're now jaded by all other life experiences? Oh, totally done now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm excited that we're heading into like uh, prestige movie season, and by prestige I don't mean like Oscar stuff. I mean like there's some really really good films that have been floating around festivals for a while that I'm really excited about. The first one I should mention I saw Arrival, and Arrival is really good, and it lived up to the hype, and I'm really oh, happy cool. to see it. It's it's excellent, and I would also recommend not reading very much about it at all before you go. So I will just say that it's really really good, and Amy Adams is fantastic in it. Uh, I nothing about this film until i saw it on the side of a bus and it just had what's his name hawkeye oh yeah jeremy renner jeremy renner and he looking real thoughtful about something and i thought yeah. damn that looks shit <laughs> i was gonna say he doesn't look thoughtful he looks constipated <laughs> that was the other word i was thinking of <laughs> <laughs> but no, I haven't heard anything about this film. Nothing, and I, yeah, I'm gonna keep it that way now. Um, yeah. Before There's I watch an exciting it. sidebar I feel here though about the director uh, Denise Villeneuve. Is it Denise? Dennis? Denis? I've been saying Dennis, but I feel like it's probably Denis because he's French Canadian. Yeah. But this this is a guy who I don't know. Do you know what, what surprised me is like his films have all got like solid but not great reviews. I think I think that's fair to say prior to arrival, but no, no, is that a disagreement? Like, because I I've li I've oh, not seen I fell asleep in Sicario. So Sicario got great reviews. Sicario was pretty much universally loved. I fell I fell asleep, but I would like to emphasise that was because I was severely hungover, as if <laughs> I had never been hungover before. Like that was. <laughs> 
<laughs> a day a day completely off the books. <laughs> but this is a man who seems to be like uh, kind of like akin to uh, Christopher Nolan is the, sort of the, the great white hope of original content in Hollywood currently he's he's doing films at that sort of mythical 30 to 70 million budget that you don't see anymore mm. that, that you know that out of all of those articles from uh, you know the, the last five years that say hollywood is dead cinema is dead adult cinema is dead it's because they don't they don't feel that anyone is working on that sort of budget <coughs> with original content but denis villeneuve is now do we feel like he's blackmailing someone or <laughs> Is, is, what is it about this guy that they, they that the you know, producers just seem to trust? Makes good films. I mean, but yeah, obviously that's not the, that's the that's the asshole. Though. Um, <laughs> Thanks, asshole. Yeah, I think like you know he's done like sort of movies like Prisoners, which are like solid gritty thrillers with like A-list casts that do respectably. Sicario, I think is probably the one that tips him over into it because it's edgy and, and like exciting and it did really well and got great reviews. Arrival's obviously a bit of a budget, like, but it's not, I don't think it's expensive. If you watch it, it's, there's not a huge amount that looks like it costs a huge amount. And he'd have that kind of, yeah, he's, he's built, he's building a reputation as someone who's very exciting, but like dependable. He's not going to do anything too mad risky. Like he's just making good films. And I think like he's got, he's got that thing as well. Like his arrivals got that like old Spielberg quality to it in a lot of ways, but also like some seven, like not just Spielberg, a lot of 70s stuff. Mm. And obviously Sicario has that throwback to like this is an adult movie for grown ups and prisoners does as well actually. And Enemies just is weird Cronenberg movie. With spiders. Yeah, with spiders. But I guess like it's yeah, it's a combination of prestige and like dependability. Like he's yeah, his his films I don't think they've not, they've not been costing a huge amount, but they're doing yeah. like good business and like arrival like it's hanging in there like really very well at the US box office at the moment. Like it's in like week four and it's in the top ten and it's making good money. Um, yeah, I think it's genuinely really exciting. I think it feels like he's every film, like he's he's trying something a bit different, which is cool. So that's probably why they gave him Blade Runner too. Danny McBride. No, nah, that's Alien Covenant. <laughs> oh, just you wait. <laughs> Danny McBride would make a perfect Leon though. Like, it's oh, that's true. He'll be a great Leon. <laughs> I'm thinking of Leon. Is it Leon? Leon? No. <laughs> that would have been a very different, different film. <laughs> Now listen here, Natalie Portman. Oh, <laughs> this is how you assassinate. Oh, awesome. What I hear, like, it's interesting you bring up those articles that are so prolific minute of how um, cinema is dead and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, one of the reasons they cite a lot of the time is that directors aren't given creative freedom because they're trusted with so much money. And the, the, that's why you see things like, oh, Suicide Squad is edited to this and this has been edited like this and this, that and the other. Has this has this guy been allowed a lot of creative freedom? I, yeah, they don't feel they they all feel like his films. I think partly because he's not working at insane budget levels. I think at the moment I don't know what the deal will be with Blade Runner two, but he's working. Obviously, I'd need to check this. I don't actually know. But like his films, the level he's working on, I don't think anyone would be interfering with him. I know that he had to fight to cast Amy Adams as the lead role in Arrival because the studio wanted a man. Yeah, I think, you know, he's he's obviously, like, come up against, like, challenges from studios, but it doesn't... I don't think it's been, like, massive struggle. I, I don't know how severe the, the fight over casting Amy Adams was, but... Let's definitely hope it doesn't change after he gets Blade Runner 2, right? He's he's someone who, uh, like, I'm excited to see what their Blade Runner looks like. If, if if we have to go back, like I quite like I'd like it to be a good director and I think he is. And not Ridley Scott. <laughs> <laughs> 
yeah. Take that. Uh, and yeah, I think it's the other thing I was just going to bring up is the fact that we're heading into like wintertime movie scheduling. So we're getting all the like art house hits from various festivals in the US. So like over the next couple of months, looking like Manchester by Sea, La La Land, yeah. Christine, The Hayden, there's like Live by Night, which I'm looking forward to, the new Ben Affleck movie. Woo! Yeah. And, not the uh, accountant. Not the accountant, the one he's actually like directed and stuff. Uh, okay. Yeah. Silence comes out New Year's Day. That's so Day, yeah. Um, New school saving. Like things like Patterson are already out, which I know Ben's seen, but I'm looking forward to. And lurking around February, March time, the John Wick Chapter 2, which I am absolutely <laughs> so excited for. <laughs> and it will win all the Oscars. Yeah. Oh, don't set him off. How would John Wick accept an Oscar? He'd do it in a really good suit and very professionally. Like he'd just go in, get it done. None of this Matthew McConaughey, I am my own hero nonsense. Yeah, no funning about like that. He just goes on, gets it, thanks whoever is necessary to thank the little the little puppet from the first one, and then he's out. <laughs> oh man, I feel like I really need to see this film. It's so good. <laughs> yeah, you do need to see John Wick. It is very good. It's not it's not like raid levels of oh shit, look what they're doing, but it is it is a very very enjoyable film. Yeah, if you want like a real action movie, like like an American action movie to watch, like ah, oh, it's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that that's that's the uh, the the benchmark to hold there. Oh. It's basically the perfect version of the Mechanic Two Resurrection. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> which me and John watched on the plane back from America. Yeah, <laughs> they kept being interrupted because of, of various turbulence issues. So I was like, oh, I don't really know what's going on now. <laughs> I, I don't think that would have you know watching it straight through would have helped. No. <laughs> is there a mechanic on the plane? Someone could Jason Statham. <laughs> he would have stood up. <laughs> he would have done. He would have, got, he would have sworn down. Like these <laughs> world's on fire. Things keep blowing the hell up. And while all those rubberneckers and looky-loos stand slack-jawed staring, the real men have the nuts to walk away. Yeah. Guys don't look at explosions They blow things up and then walk away Who's got time to watch an explosion? There's cool guy aerials that they have to walk through. Well, 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 boys, here we are again Sam's the quiz master this week Yay! Yeah. I know what that means No! <laughs> it means the quiz. John got it right. First point, yeah. John. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. I hope you enjoy this little thing I cooked up. This little quiz that I cooked up for you guys this week is called The Golden Age of Celebrities. I used to do vaudeville many years ago. Okay, For a bit of topics. I don't need your photograph to keep by my bed. Your picture is always in my head. Intrigues, I can I, tell. <laughs> I don't know how to react. There's no pun. Very intrigued by where I'm going with this. Where is huh? the pun, Sam? Where's the pun? Ah, well, the pun. I, I hope it's a pun. Uh, basically, what I'm going to do, you guys, I'm going to give you both. There's eight rounds, and I'll give you each a. I'll give you each two, um, two celebrities who are linked in some way, and you've got to tell me which one of these two is the oldest. 
the golden age. God damn it, Sam! I thought I thought you'd you'd miss the boat on on the title, but no, you've 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 worked. Well done. <laughs> Come on, that's how I work. I work from title and work backwards. <laughs> Very good. All right. Very good. Eight rounds, that's how it's going to run. I got a tiebreaker question as well. Um, in case, you know, you guys have all... You, you guys are really good at it, and you all get 100 marks. 100 marks for Ben and John. 100 marks. All right, so um, are you guys ready for this? Do you, do you understand the rules? So you're going to give us two celebrities. Yeah. We're going to tell you who's older. That's correct. So we don't <laughs> need to get the, the connection between the two of them. No, you do not get to need to get the connection between okay, the two. Okay, but we can just laugh laugh at it. You can enjoy it. Good. Enjoy yourselves. It's, yeah, cool. It's a quiz show. <laughs> enjoy. <laughs> All right, so you both ready, gentlemen? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm good. Great, great. Um, who wants to go first? Oh, who's oldest? John is. Me. John is. Then John gets to go first. <laughs> Woo. We're getting the game already. Ah. Okay. Love it. First round for John. Right. Round one. Superhero films were bare in the 90s, you guys. Here are a few, some two actors that were in superhero films in the 90s. Please tell me who is the oldest. Hmm. Okay, John? Yeah. I'm good to go. John, Michael Keaton. And yeah. we got Val Kilmer. Who is the golden oldie? I feel like it's got to be Keaton. Oh, you got that feeling? Yeah. You got, got that Because, like, uh, Kil- I know I know Kilmer's been around for longer than I think he has. Like, he was younger in those things. Yeah, I'm going to go with Keaton. Right. You got the ball rolling. You got the ball rolling, John. That's one point to John. Yeah. Michael is 65 years old. In real palindrome style, Val Kilmer is 56. Oh, oh I like mm-hmm. that. Yeah. All right. That's nice. One to John. One to John. Okay, Ben, you ready? Okay. Here's your two super actors. We got Danny DeVito and we got Jack Nicholson. Who is the golden oldie? They were they were both in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, so that doesn't help me. But Jack Mm. Nicholson was a bigger actor at that point, so I'm gonna say Jack Nicholson. Oh, did you see what he did? He's, yeah. he's he watched films and that helped him. That's <laughs> what it should be about. You're right, Ben. Yeah. That's for one for you guys. Jack Nicholson, 79 years old, would you believe it? And Danny DeVito, a mere baby, a pup at 72. <laughs> oh, <they're pretty laughs> he's a 72 year old and they ask him to do all that shit on Always Sunny. That's yeah, incredible. That's <laughs> Good old guy, absolutely fantastic, right? Keep you young. Um, yeah, don't retire. I'm sure Sonny and Philly told us that. Okay, right. Round two, you guys. Um, Johnny, you'll go first, if that's okay? Yeah. All right, so superhero films were better in the 90s. I'm sick of superhero movies, but these actors are not. <laughs> Who is older, Ed Norton or Eric Banner? <laughs> that's a good one shit Ed Norton's kept that baby face for way longer than than like than humanly possible yeah <laughs> mm. no I'm going to get Banner 
Banner? Yeah, I'm going Banner. Banner Ram. That was a hook reference, I think. Yeah. Well done. It was, it was a, yeah, I wasn't sure, but yeah, okay. <laughs> you got it again, John. You're on a roll. Shit. You got knack. Eric Banner, 48 years old. Babyface Ed Norton, 47. Oh. <laughs> Tell me about it. Both of them, not very good hulks, huh? No, but like, yeah, I thought we should talk about Ed Norton's baby face. What's going on there? <laughs> I know, right? He never used to have a baby face, but like, as he gets older, for some reason, it becomes more pronounced. He's not telling us something. Yeah. To be fair, he looks, he looks more like a human being when he doesn't have facial hair. When he has a goatee, it, it, there's something that really disconnects for me. As soon as you grow a goatee, I'm out. No more. I know what it is, but I know it's not good. So we'll leave it at that. Okay, Ben. Yes, then. Right. These two people who aren't sick of superhero films. You got Tom Hiddleston and you got Chris Hemsworth. Who is the older? That is a toughie. But Hemsworth did did himself like he was the neighbor the the neighbors Hemsworth wasn't he? He was the neighbor of Ben. He was. <laughs> Hiddleston Hiddleston has been like treading the boards, so I reckon Hiddleston is older. Oh Ben, you did it again! Oh. <laughs> guys, you, guys, you only had me for a second, Sam. I was like, oh shit, I've made a mistake. <laughs> when, when was Captain in the Woods filmed? Like, how long ago was that? <laughs> 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Crims Hemsworth, 33. Hiddleston, 35. Oh. They're getting close to these ages, Sam. Is the final round measured in days? <laughs> 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 I won't tell. Who was born Alright, you guys, very nice one, very nice one. Uh, Loki was the youngest son, right, of those two? Yes. Uh-huh. That's how uh, uh, monarchies work. <laughs> well, there you go. It was a lie. Tell everyone. <laughs> Alright, so let's move away from superhero films. One of these people looks just like the other. One of these people looks just like the other. Which one is the oldest? Um, I'm going to go with you first, John. We've got Bill Murray. And we've yes. got Tom Hanks. <laughs> oh, Sam has been on the internet in the last two weeks. <laughs> I'm still relevant, guys. Have you seen that photo, Sam? I have. It's phenomenal, isn't it? I've not seen it. I've just I've just seen it in Twitter headlines. <laughs> <laughs> it is phenomenal. Have you seen it, John? It is pretty good, yeah. Yeah. I feel like um, I've seen Tom Hanks try and replicate it. I feel like his heart wasn't in it. It's like, you can do a better Tom Hanks face, Tom Hanks. Yeah, I saw that video. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, I'm going to say that Bill Murray's older. All right. Because like he's in films earlier. And I know that he's lived harder than Tom Hanks. He's lived harder. <laughs> like he, he looks older, but he's also he's lived more. Yeah, well, I, you're I right. On, you're right on both occasions. He's 66. Lived the life of someone twice his age. True that. Bill Murray, he's the oldest. Um, oh. and Tom Hanks is a mere 60. Really? Yeah, yeah. Murray 66, Hanks 60. Go figure. That's crazy. There's only six years between them. Mm. Crazy. Because right? I said like, oh, Murray by at least a decade. 
<laughs> yeah. But like, wait, when was Caddyshack? Like, Caddyshack was way before like Splash and stuff. Yeah. But, uh, did, but yeah. Bill Murray looked old in those films as well, whereas Tom Hanks yeah. always looked like a cherub. <laughs> All right, Ben, you ready for yours? I'm ready. I'm ready. Hit me. So are you ready for these two doppelgangers? Yeah. On one, you got Tom Waits, and on the next, you got Ron Perlman. Oh man, that's that, yeah. that is tough because I know Ron Perlman is deceptively old. Like I would like naturally, I would have said Tom Waits is younger, but I think it may be switched reverse because Tom Waits lives harder, and Ron Perlman is just older. So yeah, that's Ron, Ron Perlman is, is is so old that he should not like. Like, how old is he? He's playing Hellboy, and he wants to do a third one. Yeah, yeah. I'm saying Perlman is older. Perlman is older. Perlman, the pearl. All right, Ben. You got it. You got it. Is Ron Perlman older than Tom Waits? You want to know how much older Ron Perlman is than Tom Waits? I would love to. Eight months older. Oh, Ooh, that was close. Oh. Both are 66 years old. Waits born in December, Perlman born in April. And both to the same mother, no doubt. Cause they are... <laughs> nice one. So that's uh, two each, two for two. Two for two. Here we go, moving on. Hobbits! <laughs> What's with hobbits? What is with hobbits? Tell me which one of these hobbits is the oldest <laughs> hobbit. John? Yeah. For one Hobbit, we got Billy Boyd. He played Pippin. Sure. The next one, we got Sean Ashton. He played Samwise Ganji. Who's the oldest Hobbit? Uh, <laughs> Who's the oldest? Ashton's been around forever, but he was a kid. Like, and he's, you know. No, I'm going to roll the dice. Billy Boyd. He's taking a roll. The gambles. Gambling with this game. Roll the dice. Is it going to be Snake Eyes? <laughs> Billy Boyd. Pippin. He's 48 years old. Sure. Sean Ashton. Young Sam. <laughs> 45 years old. Ah, <laughs> he got it. He got yeah. it. break. Do you want to know what it is in Hobbit years? <laughs> yeah, come on. I see, I see yeah. you worked it out. You know? <laughs> two, me too, John. Right, Ben, you're two hobbits. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Thank you. Got, like, <laughs> you got Elijah Wood. He yep. played the Baggins, mm-hmm. and then you got Dominic Monaghan. He played Mary. Who's the older of these two hobbits? <sighs> I'm just going to assume the latter as well because I think Elijah Wood is just crazy young. Oh, that's what you would think, wouldn't yeah. you? You're going to think... go for the John line of thinking. I can't even remember the name of my Hobbit that I'm picking, but he's old. <laughs> I'm putting all on Hobbit White. <laughs> <laughs> Dominic Monaghan. Yeah, you're right, Ben. Young babyface Elijah Wood was the baby of the Hobbit friends. He was 35. And Dominic Monaghan was V9. That's crazy. So Elijah Wood was a clear 15 years younger than, than yeah. his, his oldest Hobbit friend. Yeah, well, uh, 13 years younger. 13. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And 10 years younger than Samwise. That's quick, quick. That's, uh, that's uh, May-December romance right there. <laughs> <laughs> May-December bromance. Oh, Hobbits. Hobbits, hobbits, hobbits. Right. And speaking of couples, um, these two uh, 
couples they meant to be? You tell me, but who is older? John, <laughs> you got Ewan McGregor and you got Nicole Kidman. Yeah. Wonderful couple. In the movies. In the movie. Just want to emphasize that they are they are not together, are they? So uh, no one's no one's uh, in the movie. Uh, in the movies. Moulin Rouge Sam. Moulin Rouge was the movie. Uh Nicole Kidman. Oh yeah. Nicole Kidman, huh? You think she's yep. a cradle snatcher? I do. You think she's a cougar? <laughs> a Gucci mama. <laughs> is that what you're saying? Who with any of this? <laughs> well, well if that's what you're saying, John. No. What you're saying? Wiz <laughs> says you're right. Yeah. You're man. Well done. Nicole Kidman is 49 and Ewan McGregor is 45. I would have put more because, like, I was like, Kidman was in movies in the 80s and I didn't see Ewan McGregor in them until, like, Shallow Green. Mm. And he's got like, but he has, he's got like young innocent face. It makes him seem much younger. So another movie couple Ben, and yes, they, they they were just in the movies. They were a couple Ben. Yes, Your that's movie important is Leonardo DiCaprio and Kate Winslet. Ooh. Oh, Winslet's older. Winslet is older. Thinking she's a hoochie mama. She's a hoochie mama. <laughs> <laughs> I know the language coming out of you boys' mouth. Eh? <laughs> Well, Ben, you've made your first mistake, Ben. No! No! <laughs> Leo is 42 years old, and Winslet a mere 41. Damn, you were all doing so well. I thought I thought you guys were going to clear sweet board. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> So, come clear sweep my board. My board, right? That's a phrase. Things you never um, want to hear from, from people. Oh, dear. So, John, you got five, and Ben, you got four. Ooh. <laughs> okay, guys. So, from couples, we're going to two best friends. Best friends who love making films together. Hmm. This is for John. All right. You- Simon Pegg and Nick Frost. Oh. Uh, Nick Frost is older? Nick Frost is older. Frosty. Frosty Frost. Frosty Nixon. Frosty Nixon. I would. <laughs> oh, you'd like to think so, wouldn't you, John? I would. It's 44 years old. Simon Pegg, 48. No! clear four years between them and like that the boards are back even again Son of a no, bitch. One, no one is clean sweeping them no one cleans yeah. sam's boards <laughs> all, right. all remain solid it's all to play for guys it's all to play for can ben take the lead well no i can't uh, equalize oh yeah yeah oh yeah yeah he's right sorry i'm glad you're keeping score i just got questions <laughs> You got two best friends. These best yeah. friends are Ben Affleck mm-hmm. and Matt Damon. I was so sure you were going to go for Seth Rogen and James Franco, but this is a pleasant surprise. <laughs> uh, oh, that's a good one. I should have gone for that. Oh well. Ben Affleck is older. Ben Affleck. No is... He's just older. Oh, Ben. Ben Affleck is younger. Oh. 
Ben Affleck is 44 years old, like his counterpart Nick Frost, Matt Damon, 46. I would have gone with Affleck being older as well. Yeah. I guess he's, like, bigger, isn't he? I was thinking of, like, Good Will Hunting, but... Yeah, it just shows you can't trust anyone these days. (laughs) All right. Well, that is true. That is certainly true. Round seven. We got two more rounds to go. And John is on five and Ben is on four. It's all to play for. All to play for. God damn it. This round is about fancy men. Fancy men from round the globes. <laughs> fancy men. Fuck together. Fancy men like Hugh Laurie and Stephen Fry. Johnny, could you tell me which one of these fancy men is older? Oh, son of a bitch. <laughs> fancy men. Okay, never mind. Um, they're very fancy I'm not even thinking Stephen Fry shoot from the hip oh he shot from the hip bam he got a bullseye yeah 59 years old Hugh Laurie 7 so that John at 6 yeah so Ben you have to get both questions I can only equalise now can only equalise not in my hands anymore the hand of the gods Tell me which one of these fancy men is older. <laughs> Kelsey Grammer yep. and David Hyde Pierce. Kelsey Grammer is older. Oh, he's so sure. He's so certain. That was that was so fast. So furious. So, furious. so wrong. And so right. Oh, yeah. He's hanging in. Hanging he did play in. the older brother, you see. Yeah. <laughs> It's pretty simple when you. I would have overthought it and think like, oh, it's a trick. Mm-hmm. Sometimes yeah. the trick is the lack of trick. That's the trick. Kelsey Graham is sixty-one years old. David Hyde Pierce fifty-seven. Last round, guys. Down to wire. John's out ahead on six. Ben's on five. Here we go. Mm. The last round is on. Auteurs. Oh. <laughs> Are they all the fancy men? Uh, I don't know. Some of them more fancy than others. Okay. John, you're going first. Mm-hmm. These two hors d'oeuvres were very celebrated in the 90s. Then they went on to make superhero franchises. And some would say they've seen better days. Tell me who's older out of Tim Burton and Sam Raimi. There's not going to be much in it. Uh, Tim Burton's older? Tim Burton. Okay, Burton. And this is for if he gets this, he wins, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Tension couldn't be higher. <laughs> the oldest director out of Tim Burton and Sam Raimi is Tim Burton. Oh, yeah. no. He did it. God. Tim Burton. Damn it. He ate. Sam Raimi, 57. Congratulations, John. John, you you did it. I won a quiz. You won the math quiz. You're clean sweeping quizzes. I won the last quiz by accident. I don't feel like I just simply won that. I won that by being stupid. It's your year. John's year. 2016, the worst of years. Here you go, your majesty. Enjoy it. (laughs) You are king of 2016. (laughs) (laughs) 
America. It's a big country, but an even bigger word. The US has dominated pop culture since the very beginning of the term, and not just because of its position as an economic superpower dominating world events. The name of the country, despite recent history, has powerful and romantic connotations beyond its use as a noun. The same can be said of the noun Steven Spielberg. Again, like America, despite recent history, we have a very clear idea of what uh, it means for a film to be Spielbergian. Uh, Alfred Hitchcock aside, no other director has created so many memorable images and sequences that have been so ingrained on popular consciousness. What's funny is that, despite the term Spielbergian being so frequently used to describe other directors' films, I think that less than a quarter of uh, Steven Spielberg's films actually satisfy that, that particular idiom. And I do, I do have notes in case people want to check my math on that. <laughs> Bridge of Spies is not a film that, on the surface, appears to, to bear that description. There's no kids at the centre of the film, there's no aliens, no wonder, no overt fantasy, although at some points we can probably argue that the logic gets a bit um, otherworldly, shall we say. Heck, there's no, there's no patented Spielberg face either. So, so what is there about this film that, that feels like a Spielberg film? Well, as discussed at the top of the show, there's Tom Hanks. Uh, he's America's self-appointed avatar since Jimmy Stewart's passing. He plays James Donovan, an insurance lawyer who possibly can't, uh, can't count depending on your interpretation of car accidents. Years after his work on the Nuremberg trials, he is called back into public duty to defend a suspected Russian spy, Rudolf Abel, played by Mark Rylance in what was eventually an Oscar-winning role. Given the climate of America at the time, this is a thankless task, and Donovan fails to get Abel acquitted. But fortunately for nearly everyone involved, shortly after the conclusion of this trial, uh, Gary Power, a US pilot in a highly confidential spy plane program, crashes into Russia. And what do you know? He fails to kill himself as instructed. So by my count, we've got a Russian spy in American hands, and an American spy in Russian hands. Oh, sounds like there may be a, a deal to make here. Oh, if only... I wish I wish we knew of some lawyer who may have dealt with at least one of these prisoners of war who could possibly broker this deal. Oh, oh well. I'll leave the rest of the plot to your imagination. Bridge of Spies came out 2015, so to ex- pretty much extremely uh, favourable reviews. Uh, it was heralded as some as a, a glorious celebration of both old-timey filmmaking and American values. Despite being released little more than a year ago, a political film like, uh, like this already finds itself in a fundamentally different arena to the one that it was born from. Now, does this film still resonate as a call to arms of American decency, or in the current climate is, is something more potent required? Have we reached a point where the idea of a fair trial needs a Spielbergian face reaction shot? And as a sidebar, the amount of talent working on this film is utterly remarkable. Not only have you got like Spielberg's Hanks and the incredible Mark Rylance, uh, who have already been mentioned, you've got Amy Ryan and Alan Alder uh, in pretty thankless roles, to be fair. But the other heavy hitters featured don't appear on the screen at all, but instead on the script. After an initial draft by Matt Charman, the Coen brothers spruce up all the, all the words that what the people say, as it were. But given the quality of the other films the Coens have wrote and not directed, so these are films like Crime Wave, 
Gambit and the Naked Man. Should we really worry about George Clooney, whose next film is coming from a uh, a script penned by the Coens? Guys, what do we think? Oof. I'm still trying to get my head around why America's a big word. Well, I think, well th- the point I was kind of hitting at is that unlike any other country like not even not even france has them. i mean france france has sort of like uh political notions imbued in its in its uh you know sort of national identity but like, that's nothing compared to america america true that true is, that is, is a concept as much as it is is a physical place that that's what i was trying to get at i hope that ah, came across uh crystal clear my friend <laughs> crystal clear Mm-mm. oh wow yeah um I'm surprised at how, um, given everything that is going on at the minute, how, uh, I don't know, maybe not relevant, but on the nose it is watching a film like this, if you know what I mean, where the good guy's like, oh, guys, we all better play by the rule book and uh, give someone a fair trial. That's what it means to make us American, right? And, and for that reason, I really enjoyed um, watching just a very simple, linear narrative where here's the good guy he's standing up for moral decency oh and by the way he's tom hanks you love that guy so uh why don't you just enjoy it kind of thing um yeah i didn't realize uh yeah it would have so many more connotations to it yeah i guess it's got like i was thinking about earlier in a week actually about uh unrelated spielberg thing thing but um although like he does seem like a really conservative filmmaker in a lot of ways like a lot of his films do have that distrust of authority, like not in terms of like the values, but like in there's all like there are shady American government figures in a lot of his movies. Mm. Um, Misuse of authority. Yeah. And the sort of the guys in suits aren't generally like the ones that you want, like aren't Jack trustworthy. It's like the blue collar sort of decent American family man who like tends to be the Spielberg, like if it's an adult. They tend to be like the guy who's actually there getting the job done rather than the sort of, yeah, the big man government figures. And I guess that like British Boys has that in that like, the government doesn't want Tom Hanks to do lots of things. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, doesn't want him to do a good job. Yeah, they just want him to kind of get it over and done with. But Tom Hanks is like, yeah, like you said, like Mr. American Decency. And mm. he's, he's like, taking this to the Supreme Court. Yeah, because he's like, well, you, yeah, Tom Hanks is everything that's right in America and and. Yeah, personal freedom and uh, standing up to the little guy and whatnot, um, giving everyone a fair shake. I think recent Spielberg, I have like a feeling of fairly, it's going to sound cruel, but like fairly tedious, like awards bait to sort mm-hmm. of like prestige movies where it's going to be like filled with really good actors, but as a, as a film, it's not going really to do that much that's interesting. And I think I enjoyed Bridge of Spies more than his last, I don't know, definitely enjoyed it more than Lincoln, because Link, I really was bored by Lincoln. Um, <laughs> definitely enjoyed it more than More Horse. Yeah, like I think of, of his recent ones, I feel like it's probably got the most interesting and entertaining stuff going on. I don't know how much that's to do with like, the Cohen script, which I didn't really get a huge amount of. No, no, no. I'm surprised you said that was Cohen's. I didn't well, know that. I was going to lead into this later because I do feel like this. It, it kind of surprised me as, as I was doing my research. This looking at other other critics and and their their kind of opinion of the film, and they were all like you know fairly fairly positive, but on the whole they were more restrained. And that's kind of where yeah. I sit with this film. But I do feel like it's a solid film, not a great film. And I do feel like it's actually the script that holds it back an awful lot. I don't know whether this is coming from Matt Charman, the original writer, uh, that, and then the, the, the Coens had to like try and patch it up, or whether they were introducing more 
screenwritery things, but like it's hitting every sort of just like uh, sort of a screenwriting trick in basically a very quick succession like oh yeah we've got two two characters on opposing side we need to make them uh, uh feel relatable so oh they can have the snuffles um and it, it's like things like things like that where i'm just like this is this feels like screenwriting by numbers it feels like someone's picked up a screenwriting 101 book and just gone this is what we'll do with it <laughs> can i just first off say well what do we all think about this film ben think it's solid uh, but not great. Well, what did you think about it overall, John? I guess the same. Like, I think I had, yeah, I have like I, I generally generally have a uh, like a certain level of Spielberg caution now. Mm-hmm. But I'd, I'd heard lots of really good things about British Spies. Like Ben was saying, the consensus kind of did seem to form around like, yeah, pretty good. Like mostly entertaining. I love Tom Hanks in it, but Tom Hanks is great and everything. And mm. yeah, kind of unspectacular, but you know, I kind of enjoyed it. Pretty much agree with you guys. I would say. Um, at the time, I was enjoying it a lot more than when I think back to it. I think mm-hmm. I, I enjoyed how just, oh, this is like throwaway, simplistic, there you go, a little bit of a spy thriller. But then when you think back to it, it's kind of like, huh, what was that trying to say to me? Uh, that wasn't very good, was it? Um, yeah. John saw it at the cinema, I saw it at the cinema, and then I watched it with you again, Sam, fairly recently, and that was your first time watching it. So yes. we've all come to it at like, very different points. But I do say, like, watching it the second time, it definitely didn't work for me upon revisiting as much. Like, at the cinema, I, I had my opinion of it was much higher. Second time, I could see all of the strings. I'm just going, mm, this, is, this is not clicking, is it? But what I do kind of appreciate it, though, uh, is that although fine, like as as I touched on in my intro, yeah, st- the idea of a Steven Spielberg film has many connotations, very few of which are in this film. But then there's also that idea of uh, you know the 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 latter day more mature political Steven Spielberg film, mm. for example, like uh, Munich, for example, or yeah, uh, Lincoln, as 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 John mentioned. But what I kind of like is this film compared to his other films that have dealt with political sort of ideas. This one feels like it makes a stance. Like, Munich, for example, specifically is more what I'm getting at here, where that one was very non-committal. It was like, mm. yes, this happened. I am trying my very best not to make a, an opinion <laughs> on it. <laughs> where this, at least, is very clear. Like, no, no, this is this is what it means to be an American, and we should never forget that. And yeah. here are clearly people that are in the wrong, and here are clearly... Here is clearly Tom Hanks, and he is great. Yeah. I so guess I least could like that. Spielbergy, like um, yeah, to do everything of Saving Private Ryan, but yeah, like you, yeah, you, you don't you don't leave the guy behind, like you don't you don't leave a guy to hang out to dry, but who's done nothing wrong, like you go get him. I think it looked really nice. Yeah, which is like a Spielberg film. They all tend to look pretty nice. Actually, my opinion kind of varied with that. Like I felt <laughs> there were a couple of points where it was really trying to like mimic sort of like a sense of black and white without being in black and white it worked for me whenever it was nighttime or in bars or in the rain like especially the uh the the rain chase sequence was like like because it was a bit it reminded me a lot of uh uh the grandmaster as well where it's just like all this incredible photography and really heavy rain where i'm just like yes this is this is my jam but there are a couple of sequences especially i think it's the the courtroom sequences for abel's trial where because they're trying to conjure that idea of like oh it's like a noir film or it's like an yeah not even noir it's like an older film so it's everything is sort of muted colors it just made it seem like oh yes back in the 1950s everyone just wore the same the same shade of green yeah that's what happened <laughs> isn't it so but that's that's more of a, a costume 
issue and a sort of production design issue than, than the actual cinematography, which, yeah, very solid, very good. Does anyone want to say what they really didn't like about the film? Can I start by saying the bridge is in it for like 10 minutes, right? <laughs> it's called The Bridge of Spies. Yeah, but Sam, Chinatown's not in that film at all. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> but it has more like when you say oh forget it it's Chinatown they didn't go oh, oh Tom forget, it, forget it Tom Hanks the, the bridge is fine and he was like no I won't forget it I'm, I'm gonna wait here until they sort him out <laughs> no. yeah like I, I only just thought of that when you were doing your intro it was like, and I was like oh we got one spy over here we got one spy over here if only there was some sort of a a bridge to get out of them. <laughs> but I do feel and if it actually the actual sequence of the bridge itself is, is pretty is pretty like fair, like massively mismanaged I feel yeah it yeah totally that's not, one that, yeah I had a big with that the ending mm. for me it felt like not only was it lacking in suspense like it never felt like Tom Hanks was leaving with, without the pair, pair sorry so obviously as as we do in all of our podcasts, full full spoilers on board. He doesn't just rescue the pilot; he also rescues a uh, uh, an American student who happens to be in Berlin and was arrested because he had a camera, I guess. So he rescue he rescues. Well, he trades the pair of them. But the biggest problem I find with again, and this is going back to my previous comment, the biggest issue I had with the bridge is that yeah, it's at that point where I see all the screenwriter kind of tricks coming in like there's a very very last ditch attempt to sort of add extra suspense to that that's not been sort of mentioned in the rest of the film and it feels very very last minute and very rushed like oh there's not enough stakes in this scene maybe we need to add something so as he's walking across the bridge before saying goodbye to uh mark rylance's uh rudolph abel abel just throws out this this like uh, curveball out of nowhere it's like oh yeah but you know maybe they will kill me you'll just have to see how i'm greeted and when he finally gets over that bridge, he's he's not treated, he's you know he's not hugged or anything, he's not embraced. So thus leading the uh, the the audience to go, oh no, this is bad, this is not good. Uh, and again, it's like it's a it's a, it's a bad it's another bad situation of uh, bad example rather of uh, of screenplays trying to tell you something, not show you. Like if this had been a pre like hinted at earlier in the film with some sort of actual like like example or sequence and then the audience could have pitched it together like that would have been a lot more effective whereas here literally like two seconds before he gets over the bridge they say oh if they don't hug me i'm probably dead <laughs> and then they don't <laughs> hug him and you're like this is this is not uh, an effective effective you know a uh, conclusion and then in the end during like the uh comedic Oh, and by the way, all these people got up to this anyway. And that like, little he's, boy he's still grew alive. up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, then, and then Abel's still alive. Like he was fine. Like there was no, there was no need. He for was that. just fucking with Tom Hanks. It was one <laughs> last fuck you to Tom Hanks before he goes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to me this whole time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was to- that was clumsy. It came out of nowhere, and like. You, yeah, totally, totally. Yeah. And I just remember feeling at the time like, for fuck's sake, when they did that, I didn't feel like, yeah, that's exactly how I felt. And it, it's kind of a bit surprising a bit because I mean, obviously, like maybe this is just like a narrative we have imposed on uh, directors from from the past uh, anyway, and it's not necessarily a, like a, a truth. But we do we do like this idea of like, yes, here's a director, he's like X amount of years in his career, he is like a master now, he is an old hand at this. So like you know, uh, if we go back in time, you you've got your, your directors like Akira Kurosawa, uh, your modern day equivalents, you've got Martin Scorsese, the best living director, TM. Um, 
and it just it felt really hacked to have for Steven Spielberg, a man who should really know a lot better to ha- like even though he does love his his sort of corny uh, like American sentiment uh, sentimentalism, but this was just yeah it just felt yeah hack <laughs> at a couple of points. Mm-mm. I'll say another thing that I, I did not enjoy. So um, the overriding messages of the film. They were all fun and great and great. One of them was kind of like, oh, it doesn't matter what people think of you. It just matters what you do, whether you do the right thing, whether people accept or not. And that's like that's the that's the thing going through the entire film, right? And then right at the end, like because um, all the way through, Tom Hanks are like, oh no, he's a bad person. Uh, boo! Everyone's shunning him in the American society. And a woman on the train like looks at him and like scorns at him and is really disgusted at him. And then at the end of the film, you see that exact same woman look at Tom Hanks and give him a big old smile. And it's like, oh, that's so. That's like not the message this you were telling me the entire film and then now they know they know he did good so it's yeah, all okay you did it tom you, you don't need to bear <laughs> that cross anymore yeah and literally as soon as soon as he gets back from yeah. his holiday like not even his wife's he hasn't even put his luggage down and his wife's like oh how was your holiday and he's like oh it was fine and the tv's saying oh tom hanks the big fucking hero <laughs> Everyone should. Everyone should, should be, hear him. Hear him. A big fucking deal. <laughs> and it's like, oh, what do you know? <laughs> he was good all along. <laughs> so I feel like, even though they're trying to get that message across of like, you know, do what you do for the sake of it, and not because of what people think of you, they then proceeded to throw a big spanner in the works of that message for the entire second act of the film. Yeah. <laughs> But as a, as a uh, side, as a um, sort of counterpoint to that, uh, I do feel like the way they actually treat the uh, arc of the two prisoner of wars very. I, I, I like that. I like that very effectively. Like I like, yep. I like the character of Mark Rylance, uh, Mark Rylance so and uh, Rudolph Abel. If I don't necessarily like necessarily all again, like all the screenplay tricks that they try and do with him. Like I think also another big one that really annoyed me was uh, Standing Man, where it's like, well, this has come out of nowhere and tells us. <laughs> nothing but oh well oh, that's yeah. nice. um but like and the american prisoner uh prisoner of war especially like his his arc is is really the the the, the most successful part of the film i felt like where yeah he you know it's heavily it's heavily implied that yeah he does he does give up secrets and he's the one trying to convince himself like oh, i i didn't say anything i didn't talk so and yeah and then Tom Hanks wins and it's like, no, no, it doesn't, it doesn't matter like what people think. You just, you know, and he's kind of left with that silence. And it's a really nice, nice moment in that film. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, that, that worked for me. Yeah. The guy who played the Rudolph Abel, really good. I thought he was really good in this. Oscar film. winner. Oscar winner. But <laughs> at the sidebar, is that like <laughs> the, the, uh, Oscar winning performance of the most repeated lines? <laughs> yeah, Maybe. Callbacks in that film. Yeah, I think he deserves an Oscar just for like not moving a single muscle in his upper face for the entirety of the film. I thought that was really impressive. The guy was like deadpan for the entire thing, and he doesn't. It is, but you then have to remember he's in a very limited amount, and says, "Would it help?" What, like thirty percent of the time? <laughs> Would it help? Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> but to be fair, yeah, by, by the third time you said that, I bet he was... By the third time he said it, I bet he was probably repressing oh. like a proper, like, way! <laughs> <laughs> as soon as they yelled cut, that's probably what he did. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I really enjoy the uh, first sequence of the film. I thought that was really, really pretty. Thought it was yeah, really the actual um, arrest sequence. The arrest sequence. Yeah, no, that was great. Definitely. All I could think at the time was, God, the effort p- these people must have gone through for this shit. This is before we had emails, guys. Yeah. <laughs> you could just have like a USB stick these days or whatever, or send email. Yeah. I mean, that's... He had to sit in the park all day and pretend to paint something. Well, no, he he actually painted. So yeah, it's the best the pretense love. ever. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he hated it. Like, oh, I hate this shit, but I'm getting really good at it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's really the good kind of story that's come back into the news again recently with uh, Fidel Castro's death uh the yeah you you hear all those like those old american like oh we were trying to assassinate the cia were trying to assassinate castro so we had like exploding cigars and that sort of thing it was like mm. it's it's truly like a bygone age it's just not where the world is anymore i don't know obviously like the end result is just as horrible as anything that happens now but it just feels like the world is more but bar- bar- uh, more barbaric now i think in that day and age, because they were thinking so much about this like intense problem sequence, uh, like problem solving, they didn't actually have to think about what they were doing. Maybe, but there's always like, are we just romanticizing? Yeah, I think I think that I could be guilty of that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Because at the end of the day, it was you know it was what it was. You know these people were, well, these people were doing what they were doing for whatever reasons, but it was what it was, right? You know. That yeah. that sentence didn't make any sense, but <laughs> oh well. <laughs> Moving on. Yeah, does it make it does it make you feel nostalgic for a more simpler time? Uh, I kind of kind of wary of romanticizing it, just because I feel like things were probably shit and horrible then. Yeah. <laughs> Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Yeah, I mean, yeah, like Sam was. I, I think what Sam was saying. Was that, <laughs> yeah, the things that people were doing then still the same as people are doing now just in a different way yeah but i don't yeah. i'm not sure how much i think i feel like the methods seem elegant now because that's the way like they they seem more oh i don't know more protracted and graceful like you're not going to sit out and paint a painting although you might do <laughs> i've got no <laughs> idea I've, yeah i feel like slightly underqualified to <laughs> methods of espionage i see i saw the first couple of seasons of homeland <laughs> so, <laughs> but yeah. did, as, a, as a sidebar to that I did not enjoy is the wrong word but I did think that this is this has a more effective like waterboarding uh, sensory deprivation torture sequence than Zero Dark Thirty did yeah I, I can't say this I couldn't get behind Zero Dark Thirty really, really that didn't work for me at all that film that didn't work for me but yeah fair enough <laughs> the, the, the torture stuff in, in British Spies well done I thought that was yeah effective Mm. Yeah, nasty, real nasty. Mm-mm. So, um, yeah, a lot of problems to it. 
Oh, um, I want to get to. Um, he's back on the train again, and he's he, he's watching the kids go over oh, the. That uh, was yeah, that yeah. Was really... so fucking Jesus Christ! <laughs> yeah. Like all of all of the callbacks and attempts <laughs> to establish like weird running gags, <laughs> but like whatever the dramatic equivalent of that is, uh, did not work for me at all. It would yeah. be better if right as he was um watching those kids go over the fence he turns right next to him and Abel's sitting next to him and he says would it help <laughs> and that's the end of the film <laughs> yeah if it'd been like he looked in the the mirror and sorry in the window and saw his reflection saying that that would yeah. not a dry <laughs> eye in the house <laughs> or it turns into like an 80s tom hanks comedy and he and like he would like this is like whoops sitting next to him and Tom Hanks was like a scream at the camera like oh. <laughs> and, like wakes yeah. up wakes up in Berlin or something <laughs> either way it did not get the intended effect it was very desperately trying to get though yeah. I do feel that it's a bit unfair because all these all these sequences are kind of like really shitty are basically like a lot of Tom Hanks sequences I do feel like his performance Oh, it yeah. is yeah. incredible. Like it's 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 very easy to look at Mark Rylance because obviously like he is he is the newer, although also like an experienced actor, newer onto the onto the film scene, uh, and it's easy to point him and go like, oh yeah, I've not seen him before, and that was fantastic. But like I, there's one sequence especially where I think it's uh, Tom Hanks is rebuking uh, the approaches from I, I think it's is it the CIA chap who's approaching him saying like yeah yeah if he talks like we want to know. And oh, yeah. yeah, Tom Hanks just gives him a proper talking, like a dressing down, like just explains, like no, that's that's not what we do. That that sequence, like you might as well just cut that out and just just watch that over and over again. I do. I, I enjoyed like stern tanks, like when he's when yeah. he's yeah telling people off, like all the stuff <laughs> when he goes to Berlin and he's discussing things with the American agents. Like no, no, this is how we're doing it. But, yeah, that, that I enjoy. I enjoy yeah, serious business, Hanks. It's not it's not a Hanks we see very much. No, although, like, I always feel like I want to see more comedy Hanks. Like, you think about Dragnet, Big and stuff. Being like, oh, man, I'd love to see your Tom Hanks TV again. The Burbs. David uh, Pumpkins. David Pumpkins, yeah. So that's a, like... Again, oh, I was just going to say that. Uh, yeah. He's, he's, <laughs> he's his own thing. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, like, I feel like, with with the exception of... I was going to say, like, I'll always watch Tom Hanks thing, but uh, the Dan Brown things are an exception to that. Oh, yeah. The first one, it was shit. Real I bad. See, I didn't see a hologram for a king. I'll watch that at some point. Yeah, that could be nice. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a fan. I've, yeah, yeah, always. Tom Hanks. Yeah, Tom Hanks is great. Also very nice that he doesn't have the dubious political beliefs that Jimmy Stewart had. Yeah, Tom Hanks is decent. I feel like, yeah. I, 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 feel like I say this a lot. Probably not on this podcast, but if if come <laughs> out about Tom Hanks that was upsetting, I think it would cut me quite deeply. You heard that, Tom Hanks? Yes. Don't last that. Stay clean. Stay clean. Keep the side of the street clean. <laughs> uh, do you want to go on a bit more about Spielberg? I, I suppose, I, yeah, like as a, as a tie-off, really like yeah, the idea that you know we all have. Well, I have in my head what a Steven Spielberg film is, but then if you told me like his last three films, none of them would fit into no. that. No, because the last. Well, actually, no, that's not true. Because I think the BFG ties into it. Okay, I I didn't watch that because I thought that would be a big old waste of time. <laughs> Basically, by my count, he's directed 32 theatrical feature-length films, and only seven of them hit that Spielbergian kind of criteria, as it, as it were, for me. 
Uh, maybe maybe I'll get some disagreements with this because I've left off some fairly big hitters. But oh, oh, I'm excited. This. So the seven films that I feel really hit that uh, Spielbergian feeling, that Barton Fink feeling. Close Encounters. Mm-hmm. E.T. Yes. Always, which is a lesser seen one, but involves ghostly pi- uh, pilots. Yeah. I'm thinking like I don't know like the first episode of like a ghost hunter TV show is that what you mean by ghost no, pilot no um, it's Richard Dreyfuss uh, is a pilot who like puts out forest fires and dies yeah oh. yeah um, Jurassic Park yay AI Ooh. War of the Worlds and the BFG you put War of the Worlds on there yeah, because there's a lot of Tom Cruise wonder face. <laughs> What's going on? Uh, <laughs> aliens. Uh. <laughs> okay. Okay, okay. And this is like at the centre of the film as well. Close encounters. This time it's personal. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So I've left off Indiana Jones from that list. Which you have. It's controversial, yeah. I feel, but I don't. That that feels more like that's always felt to me like in the same way that Star Wars was like that that sort of idea of like the Flash Gordon serials. That's it's really tied up into that. So like, find there's a nostalgic element to it, but I, I associate it more with George Lucas than I do with Steven Spielberg. What? Yeah, that's how it goes. I, you go for it, John. You go for it. I think it's it's the two of them. I don't think it. I would struggle to point to Lucas more than Spielberg, possibly because it's really good. Um, <laughs> yes, but if, <laughs> if I said Spielbergian, you think of yeah, you think of yeah. ET and and the bike. You think of got like the, you got. I guess you got the Ark of the Covenant and Temple of Doom. I agree is is death. There's not really anything Spielberg like classically Spielbergian there. I feel like Raiders is a little bit, and and Last Crusade as well, with all the Lost Grail Knight nonsense, which is amazing. Obviously, I, I definitely want, don't want to like nonsense to seem like I'm dissing in the energy. Um, fantastical. But even if we yeah. add those in, <laughs> well, where's Hook on that list? I I totally well. No, I don't. I I don't, don't. There's so there's a lot of our Indianas when I think of um Spielbergian because you know I haven't watched as many of this. I definitely haven't seen always. I think of um uh, the teeth at the end of Jurassic Park. That mm-hmm. I feel like that's Spielbergian. I think yeah. of like Indiana Jones well, pulling his hat. It, uh, is that because it doesn't make any door? sense, Sam? What? Oh, the hat, is that the because door, the, yeah. t- the T-Rex doesn't make any sense? Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. No sense at all. Like, uh, Yeah, absolutely. Uh, many people have said many times, you know, it doesn't make a lick of sense that the T-Rex is suddenly in there. But it definitely didn't matter when I watched it. The hat, the, the boulder coming down um, for Indiana Jones again, E.T. flying across the moon. Yeah, yeah the, those are the Spielberg moments for okay. me. But even the... even if I add those Indiana Jones films in, that takes it up to 10 out of 32, so that's less than a third. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> there's, no way, there's no way The Lost World is getting on there. Amstad's <laughs> not getting on there. Uh, even like Catch Me If You Can, which is a film I think... Should be on there, sorry. You, you think so? Okay. What should be on there? Saving Private Ryan. Oh, yeah, yeah, totally. Actually, oh, okay. yeah. Fine, then I'm, I'm, I'm wrong on that count, apparently. 
Saving Private Ryan should be. Yeah, it's it's the same kind of like blue collar, like human decency in the face of unspeakable, like unimaginable, like uh, events. It's mm. unimaginable force that's incomprehensible, but all you can do is just do the decent thing. Um, yeah, triumph, triumph of humanity in a this kind of incomprehensible space. But where are the aliens? I guess in this one, everyone apart from Tom Hanks. <laughs> <laughs> I guess war is the aliens in the in Saving Private Ryan. Yeah, damn right. <laughs> Tell him, John. War is the aliens. <laughs> we can all agree, though, that even though Catch Me If You Can is arguably his, what, like, definitely in his top five films, is not a particularly Spielbergian film. I wouldn't put it in his top five of all time, but I do love it, and I agree it's not massively Spielbergian. Uh, agreed. Really fun film. Tom Hanks! Tom, Tom Hanks! Hanks. <laughs> 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 Like what latest stuff? I mean, yeah. it's. I mean, to be, it's a bit. It's a bit of a barren, barren <coughs> lot, to be honest. Like ten years ago, you have the double bill of War of the Worlds and Munich, but then since then, it's only been Indiana Jones, uh, Tintin, War Horse, Lincoln, Bridge of Spies, the BFG. I I would argue that because I've never seen War Horse. Like the premise behind War Horse. Well, but then again, when I, I saw all the adverts, I didn't immediately think, oh, wow, Steven Spielberg. Oh, mm. oh, what, what was the quote yeah. that I remember from those adverts? Was it Hiddleston oh. just shouting, like, oh, 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 oh. horse? Ah, <laughs> 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 um, oh, I forgot it. Never mind. I'll cut that out. The come about shouting, be brave. That's it. <laughs> be brave. Be brave. Lovely horse. <laughs> I guess for that one, it's one of the ones where you can you can definitely see what appealed to Spielberg about it, but you wouldn't like pick out as classic Spielberg. Mm-hmm. Partly writer, I think. But um, I just want to think, like I guess like Empire of the Sun, maybe like for the same for like for the child protagonist in this kind yeah. of crazy, mm. crazy world he's, he's thrust into. Um, but like I guess you you, you do have those like. There's like classic Spielberg, like you, I think, like the ones that you picked out, where you just sort of like, this is 100% unequivocal Spielberg. Like, we've got like the, the looks of wonder, or the kids on bikes, or yeah, it's like iconic moments. And then there's sort of the prestige Spielberg, like, where he's obviously addressing something important historically. Yeah. Uh, and then there's the, the fun with Tom Hanks section. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that catch me if you come in the terminal and stuff. <laughs> um, oh, terminal with Spielberg too. Yeah. And he loved like, having fun with Tom Hanks. Cool film as well. Like yeah, I feel like, like Minority Report and stuff. They're the ones where he obviously just like he's because he, he just yeah you just get the impression that he just loves these and mm. he's, he's never going to go like too wildly off track. But like there are obviously like types of films that he makes. I, I feel yeah. Well. well I, as a sci-fi, I kind of feel like a lot of the rep- that, that Spielbergian uh, moniker came from films he produced around the time of E.T. Uh, and not films that he, he made mm. as such. So, you know, you've got, like, Back to the Future, Batteries Not Included, 
uh, Gremlins, uh, oh. Goonies, all that. Where I was just like, yeah, this this feels like that's where that, that idea um, comes from. That lovely emblem thing. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah. Oh. That's, that's really like obviously come back in such a huge way the Amblin thing as well yeah, so it's exactly, all, like, all the filmmakers who grew up watching Amblin movies are now making this and it's like yeah well, lots of kids lots of kids on bikes discovering amazing yeah. stuff well this actually kind of ties into one of my things it was like um so the screenwriter um who wasn't the, one of the Coen brothers Matt Charman I feel kind of a bit sad for him because I feel like his name kind of got buried in a lot of the, the press of this film, where it was like, ah, the Coen brothers wrote it, and also this guy. But the Coen brothers made it better. Uh, he's also <laughs> Coen brothers came in and really glued, clustered really up, yeah. it up. But um, Tied the room together. The, one, of the big, uh, one of the big Spielbergian fil- uh, like, uh, works of the last year or so has been Stranger Things. Mm. And... Mm. He's got a new con- like a new project at Amazon that's going to be called Strange New Things. Are you like, oh, oh no, oh, <laughs> give it up. <laughs> <laughs> I can feel Spielberg, Spielbergian too. No, that's they can't keep that title. Surely. Yeah, they, they're yeah. going to get rid of. You've got to think they'd get rid of it because it's like, oh, because it's not out. They, I think the pilot must have been on one of the um, Amazon pilot seasons. But then, since then, there's been there's been nothing. Uh, they, they, you, they're gonna have to change it, aren't they? Have, have yeah. you seen Strange New Things? Oh, do you mean Stranger Things? No, 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 <laughs> Strange New Things. <laughs> <laughs> Stranger Things season two. That's not right. out yet. <laughs> I hate to be that kid at school. <laughs> uh, so, like, given how little films fit into your well my or your or john's criteria of what is spielbergian a what does this word actually mean and b is it is it fair and c what do you think spielberg thinks of it (laughs) since he continues making films that don't fit that don't fit that criteria well as as john is a a professional amongst us i'll I'll let him yeah take the floor come on man what was can you start again I, um, I, I, I don't think I can. One is one is define Spielbergian. Right. Yes. Two, I've forgotten what two was, but three is what does Spielberg think about this? Right, I can definitely answer three because of our um, personal friendship. Um, <laughs> <laughs> B was um, is it fair to uh, put his name to it? Yes. Okay. So Spielbergian, I would suggest. Probably genre, like mostly. Yeah, definitely uh, fantasy um, elements. Yeah, and if if not, then you got to like hit the other elements really fucking hard. Um, yeah, sense of wonder. Yes, and optimism uh, as well. Optimism, yeah. Like it doesn't the, the optimism that doesn't like exclude like dark forces or like or a sense horror. of oppression or anything. It's just that like that things things can be better than this and things probably will be better than dependent on us. Mm-hmm. Um, also reaction shots. Lots of reaction, reaction shots. shots. Shots of people looking on with wonder and awe. Uh, and also, yeah, either kid protagonists or ordinary people in extraordinary circumstances. Um, is it fair? Like, yeah, I think because he defined it and like he, might, he probably wasn't the first person, but like, yeah, like, 
those things when you think like the, the power that comes from like jaws and close encounters and et and stuff i think yeah that's totally fair like classic spielberg is is those things what does he think of it uh yeah i'm sure he's pretty happy with it right <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's my take on it anyway it might be different to you guys but yeah i think i don't know i, I feel you probably I, I don't like how much is that like for against the type of films that mm. I don't know, but he's, he's probably, he's, I think he's always been, with a couple of exceptions, successful enough that he can just do whatever he wants. Yeah. After Jaws, like, he's had some stumbles, but, like, he's always, like, the next one has always bounced back in such a powerful way that, like, oh, so 1941 flopped, and then he made, I think, Temple of Doom, <laughs> and that made loads of money. So, yeah. That Raiders, Raiders came after 41. Oh, okay. So Raiders, yeah. Wow. Even bigger. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Massive. Uh, yeah, Amistad came out the same year as either Jurassic Park or Lost World. I can't oh, remember which one. Yeah, uh, I, I may have yeah. a printout in front of me, so I can, I can correct it. <laughs> I was yeah, so excited. He's, he's obviously like he's he's I kind of I don't know. He doesn't seem to like art like completely stick to one. He's obviously got interest beyond the Spielbergian thing. Um. But I don't know. I, I do feel like the the Spielberg the Spielberg ones that I love most will always be the Spielbergian ones, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah, that works for me. Totally. Also, Jaws. Jaws, right? You like the Spielberg? No, hell is Spielbergian. It's so Spielberg. No. Yeah. Not Spielbergian at all. I no. can think of like three reaction shots yeah. right now in my head. <laughs> And Chief Brody, man, he's just like the mayor doesn't want him to get like go out there and do stuff. He's gonna do it anyway because it's the right thing to do. He's gonna save the whole beach. I I, I get all these, but I see it more as seventy. <laughs> I see I see it more connected to French Connection than I do to the rest of Spielberg's work. Well, I see it as like seventies genre cinema. I haven't seen French Connection though. I want oh, to dude, it's got like a big shark in it, right? <laughs> yeah, Gene Hackman has yeah. a shark <laughs> in a car. Oh, get off that train, shark! <laughs> shark! He's like barreling under like the train tracks, taking them to get out of the way. <laughs> There's a shark on the tracks. <laughs> now that's what Jaws two should have done. Oh. <laughs> we in agreement there. Shark <laughs> on the tracks. <laughs> oh man. Oh, I think Spielberg brings a lot of enjoyment. Oh, classic Spielberg, man. That was yeah. some good time. Well, yeah, it, it's kind of a thing that he was so he's he's been so big for so long that you kind of I don't know. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? Because like Martin Scorsese, no one takes for granted. They they are like, no, this is this is truly a genius. I feel like possibly because his work is more popularist in in fair that Spielberg kind of gets forgotten a lot. Like it's like I was taken taken for granted. Like oh yeah yeah he's he's brilliant he's great. But no one ever goes oh yeah do you know what I'm really jonesing for another Spielberg film. Yeah fair. I've never done that. I've never jonesed for another Spielberg film because I've felt pretty confident another one's going to be round the corner. Yeah it's pretty regular. I feel like that's part of it as well as that Spielberg does is really prolific. Yeah, those keep pumping them out. Uh, mm-hmm. Also, yeah, I do feel like it's been a while since we've had the last Spielberg film that really connected with like a huge group of people. They've obviously yeah. all done well because there's that sense of like, oh, the new Spielberg movie's out, we're going to see it. But 
I don't, I can't, I'm trying to think of like what the last one would would have been that really, like both critics and audiences and Minority Report maybe. Shoosh, maybe. Say, like, I, don't know, I don't even know how, like, how beloved that was. I feel like that's grown like in reputation. Like I, I definitely want to see it again because remember at the time I think that's a good movie. But now like it was really good. I can't really remember. I was uh, gonna say like after that I don't I don't remember Catch Me If You Can. I remember it being popular but not like mega bucks. Yeah, yeah. Um, so if we're going before then because AI wasn't AI definitely is something that's grown in reputation. Yeah. So is it Saving Private Ryan? Are we going back as far as like '98 being the last Oof. big Spielberg film? Maybe that was a that was yeah. Because Munich went, Munich went, didn't do great. The Terminal wasn't great. War of the Worlds didn't do great. Indiana Jones, <laughs> a lot of people. <laughs> Tintin not big. Warhorse not big. Lincoln Oscars. But... Oh, I don't know. I think well, Warhorse had got a play and stuff after it. I think Warhorse uh, was pretty War- big. Play- Plays before, yeah. Oh, did you not, did you not read the book in year three, sir? <laughs> no. We did. We went to the same primary school. I'm pretty sure you did. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't pay attention in schools. Oh, dearie me. I'm sh- no. I oh, okay. Wow. Okay. There you go. Maybe not then. No. In fact, I feel like the film was made as a reaction to the play doing so well. Hmm. Really? Well, yeah, because the, the Warhorse stage production was a huge deal. Huh. Yeah. In the same yeah, way the that horse, thing, like it was the whole thing, like that, like metal horse thing. Yeah. Oh, it's in the yeah. same way that when they eventually remake the Lion King, like they have done Jungle Book, they've been talking a lot, like, oh, we're going to bring that like stage experience to film. Because it's, it's such King. a big deal. But 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 the Lion King. <laughs> They make, they've remake it. They've remade uh, Beauty and the Beast. So I know, yeah. but they kind of they made that into a, a TV show with Ron Perlman already, and then they made another crap TV your, show. Cr- your chronology is way out there, Sam. I kind of feel like that's not that's not sacred territory. Like it's it's Beauty okay. and the Beast, Lion King. Are you Lion King right? Yeah, I, I guess I guess you have a point there. The rest of the rest are adapted works. Lion King is a rip off of Hamlet, but at least not. But you know, in at the least same the, I don't know, loads of films are another film in a different setting. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's this is Lion King. How do we get onto Lion King? <laughs> That's not what this talk's about. <laughs> Definitely Spielbergian, Lion King. And fortress in the greenery. I gave you documents and microfilm too And that has been another episode of the Auteurs Hors podcast. I hope you feel like you've gained some uh, confidential information here, guys. Oh, I, I won't tell. <laughs> Would it help? <laughs> As always, I've been Ben Shepherd. I'm the kind of keeper of the blog. We've been mainly just the podcast now. I keep planning the blogcast, yeah. 
I keep threatening to write something, and I, I might do it at some point, but I guess you're going to be waiting on the edge of your seat. That's right. You mark our words. We'll write something again someday. You'll be sorry. <laughs> I'm sure anyone that reads it will be. <laughs> Thanks, as always, goes to my brother Sam. People can can find you on Twitter, at Sam Shepard. Eight. Don't worry about it. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> I'll let people know that next time they, they want to get in contact with you. Yeah. Just, take it, just be very chill about it. Do <laughs> you want to get in touch with Sam? Don't worry about it. <laughs> and thanks again as well to Jonathan Hatful. People can contact you at Jonathan Hatful on Twitter. Indeed. Oh, all... okay. oh wait. Oh. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Learning from the best. <laughs> uh, there's a new issue of Sci-Fi Now on the shelves, which I'm really looking forward to getting once I get to Houston Station, because that's where I always buy Sci-Fi Now from. But I'm looking forward to the Bowie section. Oh, cool. Yeah. Oh, awesome, guys. Classy. Nicely done. And, of course, you've also got your other podcast, Casting the Rooms, which has its own Twitter account. It does. Casting? Yeah. Cool. I didn't know you guys had a Twitter. Nice. I enjoyed but actively disagreed with your review of The Pretty Thing That Lives in the House. Ah. Um. Ah, okay. I'll try to remember what a review was then. Sorry. That was what that noise was. Uh. I've that was the review I found you on Rotten Tomatoes with, actually, because oh, John's on Rotten Tomatoes, and I was like, oh, I know that guy. I oh. disagree. I don't think it's fresh. <laughs> uh, I thought it was just about fresh. No. <laughs> uh, uh, I, I think, I, I, uh, yeah, we're not going to get into it uh, <laughs> the outro of the podcast. Uh, well, let's settle down. Let's pile on John. Let's pile on John. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear dear you can find us uh, at AHD podcast or auteurs hoarders thanks guys again for another wonderful episode I think we really knocked it out of the park this time yeah, yeah. thanks guys <laughs> and we will yeah. see you next month where we'll, we will be doing a Christmas themed episode uh-huh. reviewing Richard Donner's Scrooged so be prepared for a fright and Christmas cheer. No, at the same mark? time. Niagara Falls, Frankie Angel. I will see you guys here next month. Thanks again. Bye. 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 Um, I didn't get the um the the intro you did. What was that? Um, there was Doctor Strange Love. It's um on the plane where they're like, uh, okay, uh, we're doing uh, Attack uh, Plan R, and he's like, oh, we, in your survival kit, you'll find. Oh, yeah. guy can have a pretty good weekend in Vegas for this. <laughs> I don't think it's Vegas. Though. I think it's I think it's something random because they, I don't think they could say Vegas. <laughs> no, no, that was it. Because originally he was going to say Dallas, and then um. It was filmed just after the JFK assassination, so oh, they had to yeah. they had to change it.
Oh shit! Oh yeah. shit! There was a gun in there, right? Well, yeah, there's a gun in there. And oh, also, God, well, it, Alan. What, what no. surprised me is that, like, there's even like in the famous in the famous um, you know, fake ending. To, I say fake ending. The um, the the ending that never was for that film because you know how how it ends in the world. The world ends and they all go underground. Possibly, the original ending of that film ended up having like a big like you know whipped cream cake fight. <laughs> pie fight, and someone hits the president with a pie, and uh, General Turgidon says, "Oh, you know, horror! Our president has been struck down in his prime." Bearing in mind this is released nigh on like three months after the JFK assassination, <laughs> like you're just like that is <laughs> too much. That's too much, too man. Much, man. <laughs> <laughs> A whip pie fight, that's brilliant. I don't think they do go underground. They haven't got time. They're too busy bickering. That's one of the um that's one of the messages, right? Well yeah, but uh apparently Stanley Kubrick in the mid nineties did commission someone to start writing a sequel where Doctor oh. Strangelove had gone underground and had his own underground society and he wanted Terry Gilliam to direct it but the problem is like the screenwriter died very shortly afterwards and then Kubrick died like four years afterwards apparently (laughs) Terry Gilliam only heard about it like three or four years ago but that would have been amazing I would have liked to have done that Uh, (laughs) incredible incredible but yeah crazy shit man crazy shit (laughs) That's crazy how you can have two JFK references in a film before JFK happened, and then they had to take it out. That's yeah. so weird. 